0: Going in Circles
1: Podcast, hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email podcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon.
0: Welcome to Going in Circles. Live, it's uh, Tuesday. We're about uh, a week and a half out from... The uh, the championship meet of the Breeders' Cup. I guess it's not a championship meet. It's two days, but it is uh, the championship events for thoroughbred racing. And um, on the Tuesday prior, the, the week prior, we're we're talking about Bob Baffert as usual, and it's not a uh, it's not a topic of. Um, of, of good fortune, so to speak. It's, it's, uh, we're not talking about, um, his chances to win the classic with his three contenders. We're not talking about, uh, the races. We're talking about, um, a race that took place back in uh, July at Del Mar that's mostly been forgotten about, but as it turns out, uh, Mr. Baffert has got another positive test. This time for a cough medicine, something that's found in human cough medicine. They're claiming environmental contamination, which very well may be. It's just difficult to wrap your your arms around the fact that it, it just almost seems impossible to get uh, for, for a, a high profile barn. To have so many different issues in, in such a short period of time that that's not even taken into consideration the uh the justify debacle that the uh the California Horse Racing Board completely botched, um, and it's it's wound up in court, and there's all kinds of issues there, and it's just uh it's a bad look, uh, the only you could say you could put a little positive spin is they're happening so fast that the uh the public can barely keep up. They they might uh, not even realize that there's a a brand new positive to talk about. And it's uh I, I was on Steve's show yesterday on at the races talking about this very topic before the news that um the latest well, the latest positive uh had been released and this this one, they're still working on it. There's uh, The split sample has not been come back. Every time you get a positive, generally, you will request a split sample, uh, which means they will send some of the sample to a different laboratory to have them run the test to, to make sure that uh, the, the original laboratory's findings weren't an error. It, it happens on occasion that, that they're not able to verify it but but not not often and especially not for um commonly used medications where the testing is is pretty uh it's pretty solid it's uh it's not defensible in this 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 way and and I understand the people that want to throw darts at the guy because the fact is that there's uh there's just so many um, violations. Just the, the sheer number of them is is just. Uh, it's such a troubling um, trend, and and I just don't know how else to to put it because uh, it, it's it's gotten to be um, a real a real black eye, and I said on Steve's show yesterday that the system. Is part of the reason that we have these issues. They're, they're, the system we have is really not very good. It's a holdover from a time when the testing levels were were not nearly as strong <clears throat> as, as they are now. And people confuse sometimes the the real, the sinister drugs that any detection of at any level that, that should not be in a horse ever that that are actual performance enhancers those. Those are the ones, the class ones, the bad class ones that that really no one has any issue almost at all with them. They find their way into a horse it's generally because they were given it they were given it to, it's it's the problem is is that the testing levels are so much stronger than they were even twenty years ago that we get so many positive tests at such a minute level that it gets to be. Um, a little monotonous when you're you're trying to explain picograms to people, and and the fact is that in uh, the quote-unquote old days, you couldn't test <laughs> any anything close to the magnitude and, and to the way they test they do now. Uh, I understand that you're going to say, "Hey, well, how come a lot of other people aren't getting these positives?" And you would be right. And there are positives out there. It's not as though no one is getting them, and and it's not an issue. It just isn't horses that, um, or or trainers or connections that are are famous. And things happen to to famous people that become news, that happen to normal people that uh, isn't news. And and that's one of the prices of fame. And uh, I had said this on a podcast last week about... One of the complaints by some of the bigger trainers was, well, we have so many more samples, so we're more likely to test, you know, positive, and and, and that really falls on deaf ears in my eyes. And that that is the price of of operating a larger stable. Yeah, you, uh, you you are at more at risk because of that, and and that's part of the downside of operating a large stable. If you want to lower your risk, lower your numbers. Um, that that's. You're not going to get much sympathy from anyone that's not uh, a fanboy from that area. Oh, well, we have a lot more horses, so we have a lot more horses tested. Well, yes, you're also making a lot more money, and you're winning a lot more races. So it it cuts both ways. But uh, it's unfortunate, the timing. I guess maybe it's fortunate it's not next week. But... um, It'll be uh, interesting to see how NBC approaches it. They have a lot of hours of coverage of the Breeders' Cup, and it's impossible to ignore this story, especially when one of the favorites, if not the favorite in one of the races, the the Philly Sprint, Gamine will probably be the favorite, deservedly so. And to ignore the story, I just don't think that's going to happen um they've got to fill a lot of airtime and this is a, a this is a story it it's a legitimate story it's not uh, muckraking it is a story and it it should be covered um no matter how we how much we we prefer to have our uh, championship weekend um unscathed by these sort of things and and hopefully we get through the uh the 14 races and the undercard races without any fatalities. Like last year, we almost made it to the last race. Unfortunately, the Mongolian groom was unfortunately um, injured uh, fatally in that race. But um, it's it's part of the, the story, and, and as such, they're going to cover it. I'm not sure if they're going to give Bob a tough piece interview if they're going to just accept whatever he says if they're going to be critical if they're going to put one of their um non you know non-normal racing guys on on i, I don't know it's it's a uh, it remains to be seen and certainly um it, it's going to be brought up but uh I've seen people say that, you know, Bafford should get suspended for a year. He should get this. He should get that. And I, I, I still have a hard time getting worked up over what he's come back positive for. I just think the, the, it's the volume, the number, the quantity of violations that's adding up. If I get four speeding tickets, I lose my license, even if I'm only going two miles an hour over the speed limit. And speeding is not DUI. It's not uh, uh, shooting somebody. It's not you know. It's not a, a violation of that sort. But you get enough of them, and you have to serve some punishment in this business. And I'm not naive enough to think that this is going to happen. But the real punishment is not getting suspended. The real punishment is losing business. It's losing customers. That's where you lose money. And Setting a system up where the fines are um, enough that a person, uh, a super trainer, would feel a little bit of pain would be egregiously high for everyone else. And you can't set up penalties that only the upper 1% can actually pay without bankrupting them. So, it's a difficult task. It, this is not the NBA. This is not the NFL where all the players make a, at least a certain amount of money. And when you find a guy a game salary or two game salaries or half a season, it hurts. It hurts. And it, it's similar to the jockey situation where uh, I read Ortiz, if you find him $3,000, he, he might carry that around on, in his wallet. If you find a, a bug boy three thousand dollars, and he just started, he he probably going to have to sell his car to pay for that. So there's there's a lot there's a great deal of discrepancy between our outfits in this business, and and that makes the penalty system difficult. The real penalty is owners putting their foot down and saying, "Well, we're not going to support this type of activity," except that's probably not going to happen because owners are much more willing to win and look the other way and if you don't think that's true you're just kidding yourself and if you're one of those owners hey it's your prerogative but you're not helping the business you're hurting the business maybe you win a couple extra races but when your 38 percent trainer gets caught don't pretend like you didn't know you didn't know you knew you didn't maybe know exactly what was going on. And there's people out there still operating, still doing whatever it is that they're doing, in spite of the, the FBI involvement earlier in the year. And I think it's naive to believe that that scared people straight. Maybe it scared some people straight. There's certain trainers whose numbers have really fallen off since the the early spring, and maybe they just lost an owner, maybe they don't have the horses, maybe their horses um, went through conditions. There's there's a lot of reasons why a trainer gets cold, but let's not pretend that uh, when you're when you're tweeting out your latest winner, your latest horse you bred, the latest horse you sold, just ran a hole in the wind for a trainer that wins an awful lot of races just remember, just remember when when these things kind of happen and you know you should get some of the spotlight as well and that's just the the reality of the situation i mean baseball had a problem we talked about it last night Barry and i talked about it and where baseball had a steroid problem and they more or less um, promoted it. They they promoted the long ball. Chicks dig the long ball, the home run. You had guys hitting 60 and 70 home runs and for 100 years two guys hit 60 home runs. Two guys. No one else really got close and all of a sudden you had guys hitting 70 and everybody was kind of like, hey, attendance is up, interest is up, business is up, let's go with it. And uh, we see how that worked out. But uh, I don't have a, a real solution to this problem. I, I just know that um, we can't just continue to let things be. Uh, we also can't, um, you know, Rick dutcho was treated unfairly, regardless of your feelings about him to get a 10-year suspension for the violations that he had listed was like getting three years in jail for two speeding tickets. And that's not right either. But something needs to be done. I don't know what it needs to be done. We need to talk about it, and it needs to, at some point, racetracks are going to have to get involved as well. And it's their product. So, I just hate to have to talk about this all the time, but to, to not talk about it would be, uh, would be, just, as, uh, would be just as bad, because it, it's, it needs to be talked about. And if you go on Twitter today, that's virtually anything anyone's talking about uh, in regards to horse racing. So, that is where we're at. Today, we have a couple guests, um, both trainers. Both uh, friends of mine that that for a for a very long long time, which kind of makes us old. Um first we're gonna have uh Louis Carvajal, who's gonna join us before he saddles one at uh at Parks. He's got one in the ninth. And uh, is this Louis, are you here? This is an English show, Louis can someone translate and find out if louis is saying he's a lock in the ninth are you a cinch louis
2: i can hardly hear you
0: you can hardly hear me
2: yeah
0: that might be parks it's the park syndrome
2: <laughs> probably
0: <laughs> they block all the outgoing signals
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you're 100 percent right on that
0: louis carvajal how
2: are you my friend well, I, I I can't complain. I, I had a good year, and uh, the beginning of the year was a little sad that, that we retired the big horse. So, the but the big little I'm horse. And trying to recuperate from that.
0: Imperial Hint, and he's yeah, he's, that, he's uh, going to stud, right?
2: Yeah, uh, it was sold to a uh, farm uh, in Louisiana.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's going to be a dad. Um, probably too. He's going to do some quarter horses too. Quarter, quarter horses, something like that too.
0: Well, he certainly was fast enough. That's for sure. Oh uh, yeah, he had a
2: great resume.
0: How? How did? Um, just for people that don't know, uh, Imperial Hint was uh, a, a top sprinter on the East Coast for uh, a couple years, and he's got the track record at, at, at Saratoga. Yep. Yeah, he has the track record for six furlongs at Saratoga, which is a. Uh, Every, every virtually every great horse in the 20th and 21st century is, has run at Saratoga and to have the horse that ran the fastest uh, at the most popular distance is uh, it's got to be nice to, to, to have that record
2: well oh, yeah uh, believe me it was, uh, it's one of those moments you never want to forget um, and you I mean you train in Saratoga and you won races and stake races in Saratoga but you know it's like you know, having a horse that Break the track record after what forty-seven years been in there. I mean, it's it's uh, definitely a pleasure, and and I got to see when uh, Javier was coming back to the winner's circle and giving him a standing ovation. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, Chuck.
0: No, it, it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't. And uh, I, I was happy to watch you win all those races and go all over the place with that horse because I, I remember when, believe it or not. Louis started out as a jockey. Oh <laughs>
2: yeah, a hundred pounds
0: ago. <laughs> <laughs> I always think it's funny. I tell people, you know, Steve Astacio was a jockey, and they're like, "What?" And I was like, "I don't know. It's hard to believe." He's got about forty pounds of hair now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he started out. Wesley Ward started out as a jockey. Actually, Wesley was a really good jockey. Wesley yeah. was a really good jockey, but. Wesley, Wesley likes
2: Ward, yeah. I, we, I don't remember those yeah Wesley
0: likes to, to, to Wesley recharge. likes to eat too much and drink beer too much, so his his uh, he, he's about a hundred pounds a go too. But uh Well
2: I got I got my hundred pounds on ice cream. Not beer, <laughs> but ice cream <laughs>
0: I know. Listen, when you get to be our age it doesn't go away, that's the problem. Yeah,
2: he just said there, the fat just said there and it doesn't go anywhere and Especially, you know, I stopped riding in the mornings, too, because uh, I think uh, I think I lost my heart somewhere around the pole in Mama Park someday <laughs> or something, so I would not ride the neigh and the Pony anymore.
0: You know what your problem is, Louie? You're a little too smart to be a jockey, you know? Jockeys have to have that, that, that gene that they're just a little bit like a kamikaze to sit in there. Three inches away from another, ho- clipping a heel horse's heels and going forty miles an hour with with no brakes, no steering. It's uh, I, I give him a lot of credit. I know we give him a lot of crap, but that's not an easy thing to do.
2: Yeah, it's not easy. But, yeah, but like I said, you know, it's, uh, sometimes like I want to do right, but uh, I just want to play safe now. I don't, I don't even fly no more because I, I'm scared that I. There a crash or something, and I have a kid and wife and daughter, so, <laughs> so I better stay in the ground.
0: So, uh, you started Bobby Durso, right? That, that's where you started out
2: uh, as a trainer. Yeah, I yeah. worked for Bob Durso for ten years, and so after he retired, he got a little eel, and uh, I took over the barn, same clients, and uh, that's why right, that's when, that's when I started.
0: Yeah, Bobby Dursa was a was a regular on the uh, the New Jersey uh Florida circuit.
2: Um uh, yeah, He was and I am still on the same barn. I, I I remember when I first started working for Bob Dursa, I marked it with uh, in one of the poles there by the barn. I put uh L C Junior nineteen ninety seven and it's still there and it's still in the same barn on Mom Park. Wow. Same barn that Bobby Durso was many years ago.
0: Well, that's nice to have some continuity because there's a lot of changes in in, in the world, not only in the business, but uh the fact that you're still in the same barn here, what, twenty three years later, that's uh that means something.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I like Mama Park. It's a beautiful track. So I'm happy to be there.
0: Yeah, it's uh I mean it certainly changed from, you know when 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 Durso was there where it was a regular summer meet and had a full full five-day racing week and um, of course the you know, Atlantic City was still around and Garden State even was was still around and the Meadowlands still ran a, a meet with dirt races too not just the, the turf races but New Jersey racing has has shrunk an awful lot and thankfully Monmouth is still there still holding on and uh Hopefully the next year we can get an actual meat, a real meat, as opposed to uh, how it got chopped up this year. But I guess it's a good thing that we got going there, period, right?
2: Oh, yeah, I was just happy. I was worried a little bit when I was in Tampa we were going to be stuck there. But, you know, they did a very good job. You know, they did a very good job at Mama Park, and hopefully next year we just will be more normal But. uh I can't complain, Chuck, because I had a good season. That a Mama part, even though it was short, but I I did have a a good run. So I look forward to for that.
0: How many horses do you have now, currently?
2: Uh, I got about twenty-five horses. I think this is the most I ever have. Usually, Mm -hmm. Um, so I was going to split the the barn. I'll have. uh, 12 horses, uh, Palmetto's, to run a golf team park, and then I'll, I'll have 15 or something like that at Tampa Bay Downs. That's where the, my house is over there. But uh, so I'll be, I mean, I'm looking forward to go back to, I mean, I haven't been in golf in a while. I mean, I run the Imperial right. uh last year there, but uh besides that, you know, I get to see a lot of my friends from New York and. Angel Penn, I think, is in Palmetto. I would love to see him.
0: Yeah, see, Angel's still he's there. He's
2: my second dad.
0: He's still there. He still won't play yeah. me in tennis, but he's still there. Yeah, he's still there. <laughs> he was a good he's tennis player playing. for a while. I used to make fun of him. I told him, I said, like, I'm going to wait till you're old enough and, and you can't move around anymore, then I'll play you, but he won't play me anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. You know, I was thinking about what you said before about my Park apartment, Bobby Dues was there and... It used to be meadowlands and uh, Garden State Garden State and they have Atlantic City and all those tracks and you know i don't consider myself young or old, yet but i it's i remember i Garden State and Atlantic City meadowlands, and I can't believe we're old. we have four tracks there, and there's only one standing <laughs> uh,
0: you know people forget it's funny how how you're um especially people that, that ha- are new to the business, that haven't been around as long as we have. And I was talking to someone the other day and saying it wasn't that long ago that New York ran six days a week all year round. They ran six days a week in uh, at Aqueduct on the inner track. And I said it wasn't that long ago that New Jersey had year-round racing thoroughbred racing all year garden state raced in the winter and and uh into the spring meadowlands was in the fall monmouth was in the summer and atlantic city had the short little meet in in, uh in august and uh it it was a really uh it was it was a a strong circuit it wasn't quite as good as new york but it it certainly was a a b-level circuit was was far better than most of the other mid-atlantic tracks which um now between parks and monmouth and uh Laurel, they're all kind of on the same level. The, the horses are pretty much interchangeable, and unfortunately, I think that that's going to wind up changing probably in the next couple of years, and that there just won't be enough horses for to, to have all those tracks in that that small area running at the same time. Delaware looks looks like that they're having the the toughest time of it, uh, filling races and getting horses there. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's kind of you know, scary when you think Mammoth is running two and three days a week, and you look at California where, where they're struggling with three days a week. That used to be a five and six day racing circuit as well, and, and uh, the handle numbers are, are just a shell of what they what they were. And you know, it's uh, it's a little scary when when you look at the the sports betting numbers. And and this is this is something that people are probably tired of hearing me saying, but the real enemy for for race is, is sports betting. It's it's not other racetracks. It's sports betting because sports betting takes our customers and takes their money and puts it somewhere else. And I know you guys get a little bit of it in New Jersey. At Monmouth, you get some back. And the guys at the Meadowlands get a little bit, but it, it's not much. It's not certainly like uh, what we would need to to get to offset our potential losses. And, and that's uh, – it's just a different world. And, uh, I mean – hopefully we can we can come to uh you know the powers that be in the sport can can figure out a, a way forward because uh i mean personally did, did you have trouble getting races for some of your horses with a, such a, a reduced racing schedule
2: oh yeah definitely it is. you know i it's, it's it's you know it's tough. it's getting tougher and tougher because you you have a horse and you you train a specifically horse for for a race which is in the condition book and uh, and then you find yourself races not going and then of course you have 15 races on the book and you have another 15 in the overnight so now you got 30 races and you're making 10 or 12 that's it so half of those they go to the side. so it, it gets tough I mean luckily in mean, Marble Park if the races don't go you can ship somewhere else you can ship to Delaware Parks or something to run them um, to find a race But uh, it's it's tough. I mean, I I think I got stuck uh, towards the end of this meeting in Mammon Park with a filly that we claimed for one of my clients, and we figured, you know, we're running back in three weeks. But, you know, race never went. Entered a couple times, and the race never went, and then the meet is over, and then (laughs) I didn't even get to run the horse. But it just definitely it's it, it's getting a little difficult when you run three days a week, when versus five, or you know it just like you said, you know it's that the the horses are not dead anymore like you used to, and unfortunately, New Jersey we had a couple of bad years when we lost some of the subside money from Atlantic City casinos, and and uh, you can see how. Dramatically, those uh, uh, the babies, the Jersey breads they drop, they drop dramatically. Uh, there were like, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe thirty twenty-five falls, Jersey breed, which is that's. I mean, a lot of the farm they went uh, bankrupt, and then you know, it just that's why you're not seeing that many anymore. I mean, you know. Some spending, the sport betting came in, and that helped a little bit but yes I, I don't know Chuck, it's it's, it's, it's it's tough, but the business is definitely tough and, and all these new rules are coming, and we have the new rules with the no whip and I'm on park probably next year and it's not, it's not make they're not making it easy that, that's for sure
0: no, I had Chris DiCarlo on a couple of weeks ago when they first passed that rule and you know, some of the things that we were talking about um, was if you're not allowed to use the whip at all, only for quote-unquote safety, then essentially you're going to have stewards having to read the mind of jockeys and why did he hit the horse and, you know, are we going to disqualify him? And I said, not to mention, I said, you know what, Chris, before we make a race official, they're going to have to watch the replay over and over again to make sure that no one hit their horse at all. And, you know, you watch a replay on the turf, especially when it's kind of a bunched group it's not all that easy to see. I said, you, you you might take 10 minutes to make a race official. It's uh
2: Yeah, that's, that's going to be a problem. I think it would be a problem too because if you, you know this, <clears throat> you know how states, all the states that, and racetrack they have different rules all over the country that they don't particularly, it's like one rule for every racetrack, same rules apply. And that's tough because now you have horses that are going to be running up parks. They might actually react to a horse when right. you tap him a few times with the stick and the horse will respond to that. And then you're going to have the same horse going to Mammon Park, which you're not allowed to touch him when it's necessary, and it's not going to perform the same way, and then you're going to have to scratch your head. and what, What's going to happen there? Uh, it's going to be a lot of questions. Hopefully it doesn't get that confused and next year.
0: Yeah, it it uh, it seems that no none of the states have worked together at all to try to come up with similar rules. They all just do their own thing and then everybody thinks their rules the best or they want to pat themselves on the back. And I think the people in New Jersey on the racing commission um have made a, a massive error and I think it's going to hurt New Jersey racing a lot because I know that uh there are guys that are are you know, betters that that have expressed to me that they I've virtually stopped betting California because of the new whip rules. And it's hard to tell. Um, it, it just doesn't look the same. It, it's it's such a different look. And when the jockeys uh, are, are having to count and, you know, they, they, they can only bring the whip so high. And, and it's just, it seems like they're putting the jockeys in a position where they almost can't win. And somehow or another that, it's, it's got the word encouraged has suddenly become like a bad word. And, you know, this is a game that we're trying to win. Everyone's putting your horse in the gate. The, the object is to win the race. It's not just to go out there and run around the track. And when we start making it um, like, quote unquote, bad to try really hard, i i just have a problem with that and and, and I'm, I'm for rules that make sense to protect the horses but allow the jockeys to do their job and 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 make you know sure that that uh the people betting on the races still feel like they're getting a fair shake and uh, and it goes for the owners as well that goes for the owners as well and like you said what, what you said is very is very true if you're riding at uh uh, and, and listen at some point the covid thing is going to be gone and the jockeys are going to be going back and forth to different tracks and you know you're going to have a guy riding uh one day at monmouth and the rules are such there and then the next day at, at parks and the rules are there and then he might go to delaware and the rules are different there and and it's just um uh, for what gain and that that's my question is that i just don't see the tangible benefit of of doing this and Having rules is fine, but have rules that are workable rules, and uh, these just seem to be. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of thought as to the the fallout from them, and that that's I guess my biggest problem is they're not considering the impact of the rule. They're just doing the rule and saying, "Hey, we're for safety." And yeah, well, it's it's gonna like I
2: guess it's gonna be confusing and difficult. Uh, I I think with the the rules and not. Uh, not using the whip uh, you can't abuse the whip It's just the whip it's it's, it's it's a tool that the jockey has and you can't abuse it which is the right thing to do and then plus you know Dominguez came out with this kind of 360, 360 whip in the corner, but, uh, which is a round thing there I'm it's, it's, I, I just thinking about that not being able to use a whip on the race, I think that's wrong. Uh, and you know, you, you know, you're, trying, you're a trainer, you used a get trainer, I don't know, but it's, you know, most of our guys. There of course there's going to be a few bad apples in the industry, but usually, I mean, I still haven't met uh, like actually see somebody who don't care so much for the horses. You know, like we actually, I think we care more about uh, about the barn and the horses than actually our whole family. I mean, I spend more time with the horses than actually my son and my wife. And, you know, we do care this these horses so much, and, and I think most of the people do. And, of course, you know, we get some bad apples, and then everybody thinks it's the same thing. But uh, it's going to be, I mean, like I said, you know, it's, it's, getting, uh, it's getting tough, this business. And, you know, well, uh, and then hopefully they'll, they'll come out with an idea that rules that you can apply nationwide, not just the one state. I know how it's going to be tough, but, you know, with all the medications stuff like that and, and everything changed within each state and everything, it's, it's, especially, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of horses. I mean, I, I, I have 25, which is enough, I think, but there's some other one who has, 50, 60, 70 horses, 80, 100 horses, you know, and you have to have a good crew, but, uh, well, I think we will survive, but it's just going to get tougher.
0: That is true. That is very true. What about uh, what about your horse today? You got one in the Parks in the ninth.
2: Yeah, uh, that's going to be my last horse running here in the, the north, on the east coast. Um... I have one in the nine for Mr. Raymond Maron, who used to run Imperial Hand. hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very good, I think it's a very salty race. It's, uh, we got Juan Duarte has a nice horse there. There's a lot. It's not an easy spot, but I, I, my horse like, I mean, he, he did run here last year, and he won very easily. It's a year older now, so at least I know that. He can handle the track. You know how parts it can be a little tricky for some horses here. But I, I yeah. think we have a very good chance. I mean, that's why I'm. Gonna, it's, you know, it's. I think he can do good. But um, like I said, I, he won good last year, so I'm expecting that he'll run a good race.
0: Park Parks is one of the, is that funny track that the inside is, is almost never good. It's always you always see everybody yeah. going five and six wide. And when I first went there, I, I was watching the races and I was like. Because you know, honestly, you don't watch many parks races if you're not around in that that area because they're not on TVG and and I mean they run on odd days, they run on most places dark days. So I was like, wow, everybody rides in the middle of the track. Like, is the is the inside really that bad? And, and I remember Tony Black saying, yes, it's that bad. But uh, yeah,
2: it's, I think it's uh, you know I did train here for I stayed here I think almost two years. That's when my kitty was born, and I didn't want to move anywhere over the winter, so I stayed in parts. I was here for two years, and the track, it gets sometimes really, really heavy. I mean, horses, they run three quarters and 114. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Good horses, But uh, It's hard on the winter. It, 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 you, know, it gets to, uh, you know, it gets to froze very easily. Yeah, but, I, was, uh, I was
0: there for a couple... A couple of winters and, and that was the thing was it would get really cold and they couldn't put water on it and it would just it would turn into like a dust bowl almost and
2: yeah and well that, you saw yeah, in la- last year the the big race of Pennsylvania Derby my whizzer one of my friends uh, John Connelly on the horse and he run a, a really good race but it's like I say you know this track it, it can it can be uh, tricky so it's uh even though this track sometimes seems heavy, I remember when period had one here before I went the first year to Dubai when he got sick. Mm-hmm. He run here and he run him uh, one o seven and change, one o seven and two six. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, Chugga is going to be really hard to find another horse that
0: fast. Yeah, there's, you know, when I worked for for Alan Jerkins, we had uh, we had Kelly Kip. And uh, I've never been around a horse as fast as he was. And I think Imperial... Actually, he was kind of a small horse, too. But he had set, I think, five track records. He set, he had the track record for five ace at Belmont. He had the track record for three quarters at Aqueduct. He had, for a while, the track record at six and a half at Saratoga. Um, and he has a track record at... Uh, Oh, at the finger lakes uh, that a track record that'll never be broken you went 108 and 1 at the finger lakes and nowadays they rarely break 112 at the finger lakes so uh that that race that they used to run they used to run is called the Budweiser Breeder's Cup handi- uh, handicap at the finger lakes it was the uh, the biggest race of the year they would run open race not new york breads, and it was 200,000 dollars purse. but uh you, you used to get a good field and uh that's that's a race that that went away when they when the breeder's cup kind of uh, changed up their philosophy of, of seeding races throughout the year and, and used it all for you know adding new races to the Breeders' Cup itself. But uh, yeah, those kind of horses and and you know the funny thing about them is like I tell people you don't train them really that much different. They're just fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't train them to go that fast. They they just no. They're just, just fast.
2: Uh, they're they're they're. they're... They're already made like that, so like everybody, I think some of the people already told me. Some of the, especially one of the big trainers that I met, and it's easier to ruin that kind of horse and just making them better.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you know, the good ones. A lot of times, you just got to stay out of their way. You know, like you, you don't want to do too much and mess them up, and just just leave them be. Put them in the gate, and 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 they're they're gonna. More often than not, the good ones want to be good too. That's that's the other thing. And that's the one thing that you try to tell people: the difference between a talented horse that really doesn't really care about running as much versus one that really wants to run. That's the difference between um, a great horse and and just a, a good horse. And
2: yeah, Yep, you're right, up. It's uh, it's. Uh, it's Last last year when Peru broke the trail Saratoga, I Saratoga, Summer I, I always went to the barn at Chess Summer Barn had a nice barn in Saratoga in the in the main track and and when I was running against Nitola which is it was a really nice horse, a really good horse. And he had just you know beat MacKenzie and a bunch of other nice horse in Mendelssohn. I think he was very on, on the met mile I think it was in New York and I needed to run against Darwas and uh, you know I had, I didn't have that much pressure like the year before when I was one to fly this year uh, last year uh, when I when I run the uh, run the build uh, against Vitoli I was fight to one shot so I was I you know I like my horse but you know you needed to beat Vitoli and when they went by the corral and went by those horses, like they were standing still, it was like, I, I was, that's why, that's why the horse just, like you said, they, they great horses, they just wanted to run and they, they just wanted to win. You know, that's, that's the difference when another horse, they have talent, but they just don't try.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's, that's one of the things that's, uh, you can't tell when you buy one. You can't tell. A lot of times, you can't even tell when you're training them. I mean, how many horses have you had that have trained really good? And uh, and when you know you're expecting a lot more from them than you run them, and they don't run nearly as good. I said that happens way more than the opposite. You, you you rarely have one that doesn't train good at all, and you put them in the races, and they they run off and win win by ten. That 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 usually that almost never happens. But I, I tell yeah. you that they make you look bad because you say you know I think this horse is pretty good. He's worked pretty good. He's out worked a couple of horses, and then you put him in a race, and they finish seventh by eighteen lengths, and you're like, what the hell happened? You know, and they just some of them just don't have
2: it. Yeah, I you know I I learned that a long time ago. You know, a lot of people ask me like. <clears throat> When I go to the races and I win a race and the horse pays $70, a lot of people ask me, oh, do you bet the horse? I say, I don't. First of all, I don't like to bet my horses. I don't know. I, I, I You know, I just don't. And and, and plus, people ask me about the horses, and I always say, you know, if it's the truth, well, the horse, you know, is training good, but I never wanted to say, yeah, I can't lose. or oh, he has a good chance. They'll make you a lie. I I can have a horse yeah, you can have a horse that's playing really well and looks good on the race and then he doesn't run that good. And but I got a lot of times people asking me, Oh, you make a, you made a ton of money today. Horse pays seventy dollars, a hundred dollars and it just, it just sometimes it's just so pricey, you know, horses they are like that, you know, they they run when they want to or they run when everything goes their way and then they win. Mhm. So uh I have, I remember, I don't know, That probably probably, maybe 10 years ago, I used. I thought I had the biggest paid off in the life of Gulfstream Park, but, which I wasn't because and then there was another horse who paid $404. My horse paid <clears throat> $315 to win with Junior Alvarado when he was an apprentice. And the, my client, he was in New Jersey at that time. And I called him before the race, and I said, you know, this horse is doing really good. It's training good. I think it should be one, two, three. It should be in the top three. And, of course, he kind of laughed at me a little bit. And the horse, he got a really bad bad performance. I guess, you know, I had it for like a month. And he won. He paid $315. And, you know, a lot of people, they told me that, you know, that I was a, a bad, bad friend because I didn't tell her about that horse. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. well, that, that's always the
2: I mean, $315 took a lot of money, but like I said, you know, I just don't bet. I just like to watch them. If they win, they're wonderful, you know, but.
0: Yeah. I know. It, 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 it was, I had a horse one time and uh, she wasn't very good and finally the owner's like just run the horse and we tried to run the horse from maiden 25 the race didn't fill tried to go from maiden 40 the race didn't fill so we wound up in a maiden special because we were at churchill and it was in the fall and 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 rightfully she said listen if the horse is no good then i don't want to send the spend the money to send the horse to florida and we'll just figure it out so all right no problem so i run the horse the horse was 20 to 1 had never really shown much in the morning and uh I mean, people asked me, and I was like, nah, I don't, you know. I mean, like I said, I was trying to run the horse for a quarter. I didn't really like the horse for a quarter. And, of course, the horse breaks dead last, is ten lengths behind the field, and, and it looked like Silky Sullivan on the turn, circles the field, winds going away, right? 75 to 1. And the phone starts ringing, and everybody's cursing me, and they're like, you jerk, you know, you Lou, you knew. i like, man, I didn't bet anything on this or something. I was, I was more in the dark than anybody, and, and uh... Um, yeah, God, I mean, people were mad at me, and I was like, man. And, and, the, and the funny thing was the horse never picked up its feet again. That was the only race the horse ever ran any good. We ran it a couple more times, and it just did nothing. I mean, just literally did nothing like it, it originally had trained. And I don't know what what got into the horse that day. Um, or maybe just, you know, first time she was ever out there in competition, and she just kind of freaked. And But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll never, you know, there's people I think still mad at me. But, uh, I, I had no idea. I really did have no idea, but, uh...
2: <laughs> yeah, that happens many times, Chuck. We don't have no idea sometimes. <laughs> make the liar out of yourself sometimes The horses.
0: Yeah, that's that's so true, and, and, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of times where I really like my horse, and, and, uh, you know, the one thing that we... we most trainers aren't great handicappers, and, uh... You know, you might know everything about your horse, and your horse might be doing great. And you think, "Man, this horse is really doing good." But like you said, somebody else's horse might just be a better horse. <laughs> so you didn't win not because your horse didn't run to its capability or run as as good as it trained. It just wasn't good enough. There was somebody in there better, and that that happens. Uh, that happens a lot. The higher up you get in, in the in the food chain, you get to the the top of the 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 line. Those. Uh, those races get harder and tougher. The the Saratogas, you go and you run in a maiden race there. You might be running against five or six future stake horses, and you run in a maiden race at uh, Pimlico, and and you probably are running against no future stake horses. And it's just uh, it's just the way it goes. But uh, it, it's still the mystery of the game is, is still exists, and and it's it's a good thing. And, and with super trainers, they make it look easier, but you're just seeing. They're best horses that are in form at the current time and and that's what's tougher for guys like you with twenty five horses in that you don't have five horses for each condition, and you're not just gonna run the one that's doing best at the current time. you know you have your horses and you try to find their spots and uh uh it's It's not always easy and then, like you said, sometimes when you're you're at a meet that doesn't have a, a full complement of days they're going to use the races that fill the best because obviously that makes most sense financially and you may have a horse or two that are in races that don't get big fields so they don't use the race and you just wind up having sometimes to run them somewhere else or in a race that you don't really want to necessarily be in but by the same token you can't just train a horse for three months and never run them at all um,
2: well yeah that's the a hard part, uh, Chuck. That's the hard part when, the, unfortunately, you have a horse race don't go, they don't make the race, So you can't go anywhere, and clients start getting a little bit anxious because definitely, you know, they're paying a lot of money for maintenance, and then they don't want to see this horse just sitting in the stall, doing training in the morning, and just sitting there for a month and a half, almost two months without not running. So you have to. Running and then you know the horse is training, he wants to run, he wants to race, and you know, unfortunately, you're gonna have to run sometime where the condition is not in his favor, and, and you're gonna have to settle whatever the horse can do in that particular race. So,
0: I had a horse named uh, um, Killer Bird, uh, she was at I think she was at Monmouth. Was she at my, yeah, I think, I, no, I don't know, yeah, she was at Monmouth for as a two year old, I never did run her there, but. Um, she was by um. Who was the horse? He won the Belmont, uh, Bird something. Anyway, she was by a horse who was by was you know best at a mile and a half, and I won a stake with her going a mile one turn. She broke her maiden on the turf going two turns. She won an off the the turf race in the slop going seven ace. and to be honest. I really think that she would have been best going two turns on the dirt, and she never got to race in a two turn dirt race, which was which was so frustrating because by the time I was I was down in Florida, and she wasn't really good enough to ship and run in stakes out of town. I mean, the stakes she won was a listed stake, and and uh, it, it wasn't the world's greatest field. I mean, she ran a good race that day. She ran like an eighty buyer, that kind of t- you know that 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 range of horse. But after she won it, she had no more conditions and they can rarely get two turn races on the dirt to go if it's not either a, a cheap, cheap race or a steak race. And they had nothing in the fall for her because she wasn't a Florida bred. And then in the winter it was all graded steak races. And it's like, oh man, she's you know, she has no chance in those races. And she wound up getting hurt and, and we wound up selling her and she she's a, she was sold as a broodmare. So um but it was frustrating to me knowing even now, thinking to myself this is a horse that succeeded despite really never running at what I think would have been her best um, distance and best surface. She never got that chance, and and that that's frustrating. These days, when you have a, a a horse that wants to go long on the dirt, the the opportunities are so few and far between, and if they're not a cheap horse or they're not a stake horse, it's hard to it's hard to find those
2: races. I don't- Yes, it is. It
0: is, shock. You know, you, you wind up trying but, on the turf, because the turf is the only place you can really get a two-turn race to go. And, you know, you may, hey, listen, you might go in a turf race and get lucky enough to have it come off. And um, But uh, but even like Gulfstream now, they're backing up some of those turf races at a mile. They're running them, uh, or a mile and a sixteenth even, they're running them at the one-turn mile instead of the 2 turns. you know, which... Uh, Calder is really the only place down here that runs two-turn dirt races very often. And, and uh, it's it's, got, it's different than when we were younger. I remember one of the most amazing feats that I ever remember about Cigar. And you think about Cigar, right? You think about all his wins and his Breeders' Cups and going all over. I think the most amazing race he ran, not his performance, but the fact that Gulfstream filled a 4 other than mile and a sixteenth allowance race after he won the naira mile by like 15 lengths <laughs> and, and and no one scratched no one scratched in the race and, and it was like an eight horse field i go could you imagine these days if if uh, uh, a horse uh, won a won the naira mile by 10 lengths and came back in, in an allowance race i mean number 1 it would nobody would enter it number 2 if if they did enter it they saw him in the race everybody would scratch but it it was it was an it was the second start of his his winning streak was an allowance race, a four other than. And that's a race that's like just uh has has gone away. And and we even saw uh, I, I was reading somebody had written a um an article with some stats that are a little bit uh older, but the first year I trained in nineteen ninety nine, there was four hundred and fifty eight allowance races Written for two-year-olds in in the country, 1999. By 2015, there was 48. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just That's a big difference. It, it's it's like they were almost eliminated. And and it used to be you won you broke your maiden, and you ran in an allowance race. Unless you were like you know a, a big dollar high dollar horse that breaks his maiden by 10, then of course you're going to start looking for stake races. But you know, even if you broke your maiden in a maiden 50, you'd look for kind of a, a winner's race. But you know. If you didn't think your horse is good enough to run in the maiden special, then what would make you think he would run good enough in a stake? But uh, you know, it's just, it's just the way the world, how things have changed. And I mean, think about—I used to be skinny, used to be a jockey, and uh, here we are.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, like I said, you know, I I'm, I'm very happy. I can't complain. I had my really good one, a forty-six, forty-five years so, old, and. You know, there are who looks for the the great one or the greatest horse or stakeholders for many years, and then it's hard for them. It's hard for some of them to find one, and I find one, and then I got a few more clients. I got Mister Generasi give me a job, and he sent me some horses, and he sent me some more horses now, and uh, you know, I you know, uh, and like I said, you know. This year has been a little bit weird, but, you know, I, I had a good summer at Mammon Park, and I remember I, I just I just picked up a picture yesterday from Mammon Park that they made. It's a, a picture where I had three wins in one day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I won the stake, and I won two more races. I won three races in one day. And I remember that I think... One or two or three years, uh, I I won three races in one year.
0: Right, exactly.
2: I mean, Chuck, I won three races in one year, and I have friends. Some some of my friends, they 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 told me like they didn't think I was gonna last that long. But I I I I mean, I like horses. I mean, I love horses, but uh, it was tough, and so now having imperial well, hand when I was retired and and having new clients now that give me more opportunities. So I'm kinda of, when I look back it's you know, I am glad that I stayed on and and even now that it's crucial times and tracks and we're losing tracks and we lose in horses and stuff like that. But I can't complain. I, I right now I can't complain. It's just a different kind of business now than back in the days but I'm not
0: complaining right now Now uh, listen Louie I remember I remember back in the days before uh, Before either of us were training Horses on our own and, and You've come a long ways and uh, I'm really, really proud of, of The job you've done and, and I really Was so happy to see The little rocket win as many races As you did and uh, and It sounds like things are, are, are really Looking up for you and, and hopefully this winter You can uh, come down here and have a have a couple winners over at Tampa, get some winners at Gulfstream and, and maybe buy me lunch one or once or twice.
2: Yeah, thank you. Mr Simon, thank you. I mean I I mean really I always I always look up to you sometimes when uh, you used to have a lot of those horses winning in Saratoga and uh, I always look forward to when I used to go to Gulfstream Park with my uh I used to work for Bob Doolittle with Caliban assistant trainer and and you were winning races and we used to go in the boat.
0: That's right. We gotta get in we gotta Orlando. get we gotta get Fathead Orlando out of New York this winter and get him down to Florida
2: yeah Orlando and I forgot who the other kid and one of the kids jumped off the boat when it was running <laughs>
0: when, when the guy almost drowned <laughs> that was almost a bad dark day I remember I think it
2: was like where is he oh, does, who
0: who knows how to swim good enough to go get him out of there <laughs> yeah so
2: I'm I'm looking forward to go back to uh fun better with some of my horses and uh I got a uh you know, couple of two euros and um, you know you always hope, that's you hope when you have a two year euros you think it could be okay, you're looking forward to see what you can do and that's what I'm, I'm that's what I'm looking forward now. That's why I wanna to go to Florida and see how this uh newcomers are gonna do for me.
0: Uh, that's all we can do. We can just look ahead and believe me. Palm Meadows in South Florida are a whole lot nicer in January and February than parks. I've been to both places, and believe me, it's way better down <laughs> yes. here. <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> all Definitely. right, Louis. One hundred percent right.
0: Thank. Good luck today. We're, we're gonna. We're rooting for you.
2: Thank you. I need all the luck I can get. And uh, listen, uh, Mister Simon, Chuck Simon. It was a pleasure talking to you. You're doing a great job there, and uh, I look forward to seeing you. In, uh, this winter
0: over there I- sounds good. Thanks, Louis. Appreciate that. All right. All right, everyone. That was Louis Carvajal, who's who's not only a a good trainer, who's kind of starting to show what he can do, getting horses that can that can run. That's part of being a trainer is that getting uh, horses that can win. Sometimes you train horses and they just aren't any good, and it doesn't matter what you do with those type of horses because. They're just not any good, and uh, it would be like trying to get learn, teach me how to pitch against major league baseball hitters. It doesn't matter if you got the greatest trainer in the world. If you gave me all the steroids in the world, it, it wouldn't matter. I just, just don't have the ability. And sometimes you get saddled with horses like that same that same thing. They, they just it doesn't matter how you train them. If you train them slow, if you train them fast, if you train them on the dirt, if you train them on the turf, they're just no good. But Louie is also one of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. He's he's a a guy that uh, it's really easy to root for. And we have another guy that's really easy to root for. I've been rooting for him for a long time as well. My friend Carlos Martin. Carlos, how are you?
1: Hey, Chuck. Nice to talk to you, buddy. Long time.
0: Yes, sir. Well, you got a Breeders' Cup horse this year. Again, how's it looking? how's, How's come dancing training?
1: She looks great. She's doing super. Hopefully, we'll put on a good show. It's her probably her last dance. And last year, everybody was so disappointed. You know, it was an unusual situation, you know, having to fly out there, you know, from the east and kind of went five, six days before the race, like a lot of other people did, flying a little bit late into the show. And who knows? I know Asmussen was there about a month before, but there were other big, uh, big horses that showed up when we did on the same plane, they did fine. So you hate to make excuses when things don't go right. It just wasn't our day, but. A couple of weeks, like a week later after that when she went to Lane's End where we were thinking about retiring her. She looked like she caught a little low-grade virus, and she was, you know, back and forth with a fever for about a week. So, you know, she didn't show the signs that we could see, but the way she ran, I mean, I, I can accept defeat. We all can, but she was so brilliant all year the- last year. For her to finish sixth and-, and only beat two horses, I think there was a little something more at play, but that's ancient history. We're coming into this race, you know, a little fresher. We didn't run in the Gallup Loop this year. We decided to wait and get her Get her cranked up for her. Like I said, hopefully her swan song will be a great race and go to Keeneland. She just getting to Keeneland about an hour from now, so she'll be there for plenty of time. Maybe get a little breeze over the track, and hopefully we'll get better results this year.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, are you there? Can you, can you still? Uh, you kind of broke up there a second.
1: Yeah, I can hear you. Okay,
0: no problem. Yeah, you know, you never know. Sometimes I, I, you tell people that you you can scope a horse before you can draw their blood, and everything looks fine. And then, like you said, you race them. The stress of the race brings out whatever's deep inside. And next day, they're sick, and no one feels worse than the trainer because you you say to yourself, "What did I miss? Did I hear a cough? You know?" And it's the you know how could how could this have happened? But it's just it's part it's fact of life. Unfortunately, they're they're <laughs> living, living animals, exactly. and they live outside, and uh, you know they don't tell us things we have to try to figure it out and uh you know hope like you said hopefully this year uh, not having to go all the way out to california staying uh in the midwest and uh, the temperature change sure won't be be as, as drastic as it would be and uh there certainly seems to be a lot of speed in this race the, the breeders cup uh, philly sprint take each other out a little bit i mean
1: it's probably brilliant enough that she can maybe sit a little bit, but if she draws, depending on what she draws in Serengeti, they both go out there, hopefully, um, nobody's going to let anybody get away, so I'm hoping they go over there in 44 and change, or, I mean, Serengeti, when she ran against us in the Ballerina, I think she went 43-3, and the 7-8 should help us, so yeah, I'm optimistic we got a great jockey, Uh, not that Javier isn't a great jockey, he's ridden her for a lot lately, but Irad did a great job in the Honorable Miss, and he's uh, undoubtedly one of the top riders. A lot of people think the top rider right now in the sport, so I'm not going to be disappointed having I ride in the bike, and hopefully we get a little lucky. Yeah,
0: that's uh, that's that's half the battle sometimes in those type of races. Is where do where do people draw? How do you break? Does the speed duel, uh, you know, the anticipated speed duel actually happen? The, um, you know, if, if Gamine draws inside of Serengeti, she, she's probably not going to want to follow her. So. Uh, is she going to let her clear? Or is she going to run out of there? Who, you know, there's there's a lot of other. You know, Venetian Harbor's got speed too. She's not going to be too yeah, far no, away. Yeah,
1: not slow either. Yeah, right. So it's the not. Other day. It's <laughs> not as
0: though they're going to you know draw off five lengths and there there will be horses right right in behind them. So that that helps. And certainly, hopefully, you get a clean trip and and just get a fair chance uh, at the at the quarter pole and kind of see what happens. Yeah,
1: I'm hoping that the versatility she has, she can sit a little bit. And stalk like she did in the *Honorable Miss* and like she did in the ballerina. Hopefully, in this situation, will really, really be a benefit that she doesn't have to, you know, like Serengeti, as great as she is. Tom Amos will be the first to tell you. It seems like she's, you know, her style is she's going to go. That she's got no. Yeah. She <laughs> one doesn't way have one any she's second gonna, you know. She's going to come out. She's going to make the lead. They're going to try to make the lead no matter what. So, you know, that's that's their style, which is fine. And hopefully, we can get a good trip and make a good, big run at it.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, it's nice to get fillies, and, or it's honestly, it's nice to get horses, period, that that uh, that can get to that level and, and, and be competitive and, and have a, an actual shot at, at winning a race, and uh, we'll certainly be rooting for you. Um, Thank you. How big is your barn right now, Carlos?
1: We uh, have about 25 horses right now. We have about 9 or 10 babies. Uh, it's been a little slow, as you know, what can happen with the 2-year-olds. Either you wait or they're going to make you wait, so it's just been... One of those years, we have a few uh, babies that look like they could be okay. We have a big, tonalist colt. We have a nice guy, Mesa Philly, from Mr. and Mrs. Pavlis, that's a half to a grade one uh, winner on the grass of the Secretariat, that Tom Morley trained Carrick. She seems like a nice Philly. We have a big old Shackleford colt that my sister uh, got into the game a little bit. My Uncle Greg picked out an Ocala that seems like he could be a nice horse. And uh, we have a few other babies that seem like they're coming around. It's just You know how it is. You just have to just. Let them tell you there's no – sometimes you get these new owners, and I love them. They're enthusiastic and like, when we are going to race? When are we going to – I said, listen, if I knew that, I said, this this is a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, you know, to try to do the right thing by the horses. You know, I I know certain barns are fortunate enough to have a a big, big stable, and they can have the same schedule on every horse, and that's great, and they can replace them. We we try to keep those eight or ten babies – is going to be the cornerstone for the next couple of years. So you kind of approach things a little differently, I think. Maybe a little too conservative at times, but that's just the way you know that I was brought up with in the same old school. Like you, were growing up with the Chief, and you know when they have a little issue, if you push them and you train them when they're sore, they get that in their mind, and you, know, you have to do the right thing. Unfortunately, there's a lot of stopping going with young horses, and if you want action and claimers, that's one thing, but if you want to develop a good horse, patience is the only way to do it, and we both know that. So that could be a little frustrating at times this year, only started i think one or two babies and it is what it is hopefully you know all the hard work and the time and and waiting on them you get something that can really that can really show 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 great things later on
0: yeah that's it's so true when you're talking about new owners too is that you appreciate their enthusiasm and and the you get in the game and and you're pumped up and you just have to temper their enthusiasm sometimes in the to not rush things and not uh, uh, keep in mind and this is what i tell people all the time Keep in mind when you see Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown and and uh, uh, these other these guys with these huge outfits, you're only seeing the horses that they have that are at their best. That they have a, a whole roster full in that same exact class, and they're only running the ones that are doing well at that time. And it seems like they're they're running a lot, which they are, of course. But don't forget that they might have forty two year old fillies. Or, you know, fifty-two-year-old fillies, are dirt fillies, and, and you know, like, so you're seeing that the, the two or three that are ready to run, and yes, they have one in next week and they have one in next week. But like, right. when you own two horses, well, <laughs> you know, you got to remember that uh, that that there's a lot of horses that those guys train that you're not seeing either because they're not ready to run, and and they're giving them the time because they they have the the luxury of having so many other horses, and I think. I said that so many times. I said, you know, I made some really, I made some predictions that that have kind of turned out right in this business, and it's I'm kind of sad in some ways because some of them have have not been really beneficial. But there's one thing I never saw coming, Carlos. I never saw the billionaires teaming up. I never could I, that that never. I never believed that that would happen. I always thought that a guy that uh, or, or a lady that had that kind of money would be like, well, why do I want to partner and share the glory and share the uh, the responsibility and the, the picking the races out and the leading the horse in? And I never saw that coming. And, and that's something that's happened that's, uh, I, I admit, I, I never thought that we would see billionaires. And, and it's not just teaming up. Sometimes there's three or four of them that own a, own a horse. and it's-
1: Yeah, no, you're right. No, that's happened a lot lately. Uh, and it happens, you know. A lot more than, you're right, that's one of those things that's definitely kind of an unusual phenomenon.
0: I mean, I just never, you know, you remember back when we were kids in the 80s and the 90s, and and yeah, the, you know, society was a little different, life was a little different, and life in racing certainly was different, but you saw individuals, the Phipps family owned horses, the um, Rokeby stables, you had these big old money uh owners but you also had standalone guys that would come in. Uh, Donald Disney got into business and he, he was you know, he, he owned horses on his own and um you know, it just, uh, like Mr. Ramsey, I'm, I'm, for all the things Mr. Ramsey does, he doesn't go partners on any, uh, with anyone because he knows that he can't do it. <laughs> he, he, like, physically can't right, be partners right, right. because he's got to be in charge. And he's smart enough to realize that, and, and he's never really tried to be partners with, with anybody. And, uh, you know, Mr. Ramsey's thing was he was going to live or die based upon his decisions, and he was going to live with it. And, and I'll give him credit for that because he's uh, he did tremendously um, oh yeah, no, no doubt. Doing not. that and without partnering up and 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 teaming up, but that is one thing. And, and to me, that is one of the tough things for trainers um, like you guys. Uh, like Louis Carvajal was on before, and he, he's got twenty five horses like you do as well. And how it's just a little bit discouraging when your owners may be wealthy people. But you're you're talking about dealing with people who have seemingly unlimited amounts of money and, and then they team up and it's just like wow. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to be discouraging here, but it's yeah. just uh no, I know what you're saying. it's one of the reasons why I stopped. I, find, I just said I need a break, I just can't do it anymore. And I, I'll be tell you what, another reason I lost owners to the fractional partnerships. I had guys that would buy Two or three horses, or they would go partners with a friend of theirs and buy two or three horses a year. Yearlings usually we'd buy, and they'd be buying in the twenty to to thirty to forty thousand dollar range. And some of them got out, and they bought into um, partnership deals where their expenses are less. And yes, they don't get a, a say in anything. But uh, and, and some of them got out completely, uh, and yeah. some didn't like that, and uh, they're not for everyone. Clearly. And certainly the partnership, uh, you know, the, the West Points and such, those are different than what we're talking about with the billionaires. But um, yeah, I lost owners to, to those type of things because those guys said to themselves, hey, I really want to run a horse in the Breeders' Cup or really want to get a horse in the Derby. And my chances of doing that, spending the money I'm spending, are, are really long and I have a better chance of, of latching onto it even at a smaller percentage. And, and I get that. I understand that. And I, I just, uh, it, it's, it's one of the negatives of partnerships because you hear a lot of people talking about the positive partnerships. It's one of the negatives of partnerships that, um and that they feed the big barns as well is that the big barns are already strong and then they get, um, more horses, and then and then are getting the fractional kind of owners, and and hell, now they're getting the the people to put two hundred bucks up, <laughs> and, and 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 um, and I know you've spoken out about this before. It, you know these guys, and today, of course, is a is a day where Mister Baffert's got positive number three in like the last two months, and at some point, it just becomes so frustrating for so many of us in the business that there's never any. Uh, seeming, they're never penalized for for issues, and I don't know. It's 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 tough for me to. Uh, like I said earlier, I really don't have a, a an answer. I don't. I can't say. Well, this is absolutely what we should do, and this will fix this problem. I don't know exactly, but
1: yeah, no, you're right. It's a difficult situation. a difficult problem. You're here in New York, and you know, we've been here a long time. We've had some success, and come from a racing family, but. Charger, you're trying to charge 100, 110 a day to survive, and then the new owner or the new billionaire or whatever they look up in the stats. So, who are the top two, three trainers in the country? Well, you got three of them, four or five, six here in New York that control 300 horses each, and they're going to charge the same as Carlos Martin or Louis Carbajal, and they'll just say, well, we'll just be part of number 302. So, you know, if a lot of uneducated people, you know, they don't know that the hands on approach is also a good one, and but they're looking at the top. Uh, uh, trainers and they're saying, well, you know, if you're knocking them, you sound like an idiot because you're knocking Coca-Cola. Like my dad used to always kid around and say, right. you know, these guys win all the big races. But you're right. It could be a vicious cycle. And in New York, to try to keep up and try to pay the workman's comp and the Department of Labor and everything that goes with it, especially where I'm at, it, it, it could be diff- definitely challenging at times, especially to try to bring new people in when they see the same trainers that are two bars away from you just dominating and winning all the big races in. Back in the day when my grandfather was a leading trainer for many years in New York, there used to be the limit where he'd have 44 and he'd help his friends and he'd help the chief or Gary Gallo or recommend even Horatio Laura when he first came to this country, you know, had nothing. My grandfather gave him a hand and stuff. So there was a little bit, you're right, different times. You know, the free market enterprise is great, but for our business, it definitely does, like you wrote articles before, which I read because I know you have a lot of knowledge besides as a horseman, I always respected you, and you grew up the hard way and worked from the bottom up. But you also have a different perspective, you know, from everything you've seen as far as the business side of it, which I've read the articles, and, and you're right, the free enterprise system is great, but for the smaller 20 or 20 uh, horse outfits, especially in New York and places like that, with just all the laws and everything, you know, the, the, their guys can't keep up. They can't afford to stay in. They're just killing that dynamic of the sport and you know. The joke of it is five or ten years from now we we'll be, might be having an interview and I'll be sitting next to you saying, well, we said there will be ten <laughs> trainers with 500 horses. They, they're running against themselves in the horse field. I mean, it, it definitely is something that concerns me. Uh, this is the only thing I love to do. And, you know, unfortunately, it, it's definitely not an easy game, especially to be in the best circuits in the world like New York or these places to keep up and keep charging what you have to charge. And you get how things can be frustrating for the smaller owners they don't have those horses and dealing in those big purses. So when they're paying you three, $4,000 a month, they're like, uh, <laughs> they, they, you know, they get the feeling where if you're not successful right away, they want to go to a smaller circuit or become, like you said, a, a 2% or a 3% or with a big outfit. So it's definitely a revolving door that uh, sometimes you, a lot of people have had to come out that door because they can't keep the pace.
0: You know, what you said about the 44 stalls is something that uh... – it's so true I, when i worked uh for the chief at belmont the chief was not the most organized person in the world and occasionally like he would <clears throat> he would forget to tell us like we had horses coming so you know we'd just get the, the vantage show up and oh uh, you know all from mrs dupont's farm and there'd be three more horses there and we were already at oh. our limit and rick wickman would come and he'd find me and he would chuck you guys are over your limit Oh, i said rick Look on that door right over there. It says, Alan Jerkins. Talk to him. Don't yell at me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would say, and he'd be like, well, just give him the message. I said, nah, he yelled at me for enough. I'm not getting yelled at for your job. And and I would right. say something to him, like, you know, we're over our limit. And he'd be like, I've filled more races in New York than any trainer in the history of New York. And I said, I understand that, but tell tell it to him. Right, but,
1: even, even, but even the chief was conscientious, like like he would be over a limit. Maybe he'd have maybe 50 or 40 or whatever, but these guys... They'll, like, have 200, and they'll take a five-claimer from the poor guy that's down the street with <laughs> two horses. Yeah, send that five-claimer right in, or, or that 10-claimer. I mean, there's got to be some kind of saturation point at some point, um, or else I don't think the business can survive, you know, like I said, having 10 people control all the horses, especially in New York, as you know.
0: Well, I, I mean, Carlos, it wasn't, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and I said this earlier in the show, that it wasn't that long ago that New York ran six days a week year-round including aqueduct on the inner track they were in 6 days a week there was only one dark day a week and th- this is not like in 1950 this was like like 2000 and yeah. it, it's it's we're down to 3 days maybe and, you know in the next march i know they're cutting to 3 i'm not really sure why they do it in march it seems like it would be better in february but i'm, I'm sure there's some reason for it but um you know we're are down to four races ford racing days and and like i said march will be 3 and Mammoth uh, is, is at three. And um, the, the racing opportunities, and this was something that Louis and I had talked about, was when you're one of the reasons I left Monmouth, And I loved being at Mammoth, I really do. I, I thought it, it was a really nice track. My horses fit well there. But I just couldn't do it anymore because I, I just had my owners on my ass all the time. Because when you, and the year I left was 2014, and we were racing two days a week. And yeah, no, it's impossible. If the race pass. is yeah. is for is, is carded for Sunday and it doesn't fill, well, then they bring it back. Well, you got six days again until that race might go. And if it doesn't fill that weekend, then you're talking you're like two weeks. And the owners just you know, especially being in a in that area up in the Northeast where there's so many other tracks where, that are a short ship to. You, you know, I, I was never a guy that wanted to ship much. I, I'd rather run where I'm stable, at, where I know the horses. Where it's easy to walk over, and, and it, it's certainly more cost effective. And especially if you're in New York, you're running for more money. But you, you just can't not run, and, and that's that's part of the problem as well. And oh yeah, and that when you cut down racing opportunities, uh, they're still going to use the top stake races. They're still going to use the cheapest races that fill well. It's those middle ground races. It's the the twenty five claimers, the open twenty five claimers, and and the uh, um, you know the New York bred two other ends on the dirt that, that all of a sudden don't go anymore. And like, what do you do? You're kind of stuck with a horse. And
1: no, it's definitely it's something that you have to address. It's not easy. No, no. doubt.
0: That that that's one of the things that, that uh, I, I think. Sometimes horsemen in general get a rap these days. Is oh, they don't want to run their horses. And sometimes it's not just we don't want to run the horses. It's that we just don't want to run the horses in the wrong spot all the time. Right,
1: right. You you go over fifty, over sixty, over twenty-two for thirty. They like two for forty. This guy, oh, he forgot how to train. And like you said, sometimes you get into those vicious cycles where you know if the clients think they know more than you do. Sometimes you're running horses that are over max just to keep them happy, and then you don't want to keep your. your nowadays, if you're not thirty percent. Uh, you don't know what you're doing. So it it is definitely tricky compared to the way things used to be back in the day. Where The stats are a great thing, you know, to build business, but they can also, a good trainer can just, you know, because of circumstances, and, you know, they can also make you look bad quickly.
0: You know, I wish there was, there's been a statistical revolution in in sports. In, In baseball, we don't call the guy with the highest batting average the batting champion anymore because people have realized that a guy who hits 330 but hits mostly singles is not as valuable as the guy who hits three hundred and hits forty home runs, so like everything is in context in racing we still use kind of just these raw win percentage stats which which can be very misleading because i've I've said a million times if you if you had a ten claimer and I had a fifty claimer and we raced them against each other and my horse beat you by a nose, well, you probably did a much better job raising your horse's level than I did, but in the stats it's gonna it's gonna say. Chuck won, Carlos lost, and it, it's not going to reflect the actual job that you did. And, and I think that's another thing that's frustrating is when you take uh, thirty, forty thousand dollar babies and you do well with them, you win maiden special weights with them. That that's an accomplishment. And when you win with three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar ones, well, that you're supposed to. Those are the best bred, the best conformed horses. They they should be winning those races in, in a lot of ways. All
1: right, no, you make good points. Excellent points.
0: But uh, you have any, did you bring anything else to Kentucky with you, or just uh, the? Figure? I
1: wish I wish I had a couple of those, uh, like some of these big guys that have eight, nine, ten, twelve to run in these kind of races. I'm excited to have come dancing back, and I think she'll be uh, she'll keep me entertained. She's uh, been something special for us since day one, and you know, a million two, grade one, Ruffian, Gallant Bloom, Distaff, Ballerina. She's been a great horse for us. So I'm just excited about hopefully uh, giving her an opportunity to show how great she is in the biggest stage and. Like I said, I'll have plenty of uh, those ten days. I'm sure I won't. I won't get too bored with her. She's uh, been like a godsend, Car Stable, and we love her.
0: Oh, she's got a great resume. Is she in a sale, or, or is or the? Do you have any? What are the plans for her um, post racing?
1: I think Mark really wants to keep his broodmare band and get it a little stronger. He's had a nice little group of mares that he's sold a lot commercially and had some success the last bunch of years. That I've had him with David and Gordon and Lanes, and they've done a great job for us. Mm-hmm. But I think. Uh, you know, as, as valuable as she is, and it'll be great to take some big money off the table. I really think he's going to keep her right now. It looks like that's the plan. He's talking about stallions like Quality Road and stuff like that. So I think he's uh, he's happy to make her a mom and hopefully have some come dancing babies down the road.
0: Yeah, that, that'll that be great. That'll be really great. Well, Carlos, yeah. I appreciate, appreciate your time, and uh, we certainly will be rooting for you. And uh, all, all the best getting down to Kentucky and... Uh, don't don't eat too much while you're there. You know.
1: <laughs> it was great talking to you, Chuck. It was always a pleasure.
0: Likewise, thank you, Carlos. That was Carlos Martin heading to the Breeders' Cup with Come Dancing. The Breeders' Cup, Philly Sprint, seven 8 She's going to be kind of a, a little bit of a longer price. But she might be. She might be able to sneak in and make a make a run. Hopefully, she gets a clear trip. I mean, she's got Irad uh, Ortiz, who who certainly is uh, is a is a top is as good as it gets in those type of races. He's not going to panic and hopefully gets a good trip and gets some pace to run into. And it certainly would be nice to see Carlos in the winner's circle as opposed to uh, one of the uh, one of the other guys who. Who win all the races all the time and we're sick of seeing them? That's just the way it is. But um, today's show actually is, is uh, only going to be ninety minutes, and uh, that's why we we didn't have an, a, a third guest. And um, I know Carlos had uh, was was pressed for time, but uh, I really I really want to really uh, really re- re- reiterate what I said in the beginning of the show, and, and that I'm. I'm just fatigued about talking about Bob Baffert and medication positives. And these are all low-level positives. These are not um, these are not class ones. These are not the big ones. These are not uh, secret uh, formulas. These, these are... I mean, this last one, uh, I was only able to read up a little bit before we came on the air. And, uh, and apparently, the excuse is that... Groom had COVID and got cough medicine, and this is, you know, which is, I guess, plausible, but imagine the NBA if LeBron James got suspended three times a year and then actually had the union come to his defense and then never actually served the time. People would go nuts. And... There's really no, there's nothing like it in other sports. And if you get busted in the NFL, you you do the days, and I just, um, it's just frustrating to to me because I trained for a long time and I had horses, for the most part, the last five six years I seven eight years I trained, they weren't very good and i got the horses that had decent pedigrees that had bad conformation and conformation is is one of the issues that really causes unsoundness more than more than anything it's it's just the it's just the the physics of, of the way the horse strikes the ground the more ill-conformed the, the worse the concussion is on certain joints and we needed to do uh, vet work on a lot of our horses because of the way they were built. And, and the ones that didn't have talent, they, they just they never got a whole lot of vet work because they just weren't good enough to, to mess with, and, and we found them homes. We found them good homes. The, um, the thing is that I didn't get any positives. And part of that is just because we were careful And we didn't take chances. And I got a Butte positive at Gulfstream. It was extremely low level. It was a fine. And I got a Ace Promazine positive, which is a tranquilizer, um, in like 2001. And, I I mean, I I think I had, I don't know, 2,500 starts, 2,800 starts, something like that, 3,000 starts over 20 years. And I think that because of, of our management, we were able to not have positives because we did not want them. It was embarrassing when I got that first positive and we had to give, that was actually an ACE promozine positive that we still aren't sure how that got into the horse's system. And I mean, ACE promozine is a tranquilizer and the horse won by nine lengths and certainly didn't, tranquilize the horse and then the level was very very low and this was at a time in kentucky when you could give literally like 17 different shots within 24 hours of a a race and to this day we don't really know how that got in the horse's system but but i i really was embarrassed by that and, and i never wanted it to happen again and it the sad thing is that um that no one ever asked me about that people asked me to take horses no one ever said what's your record in regards to positive tests? What's your record in regards to breakdown? And those are two things that we were really good at. We didn't have horses break I have a horse breakdown. I've always horse down in a race for 18 years. And we didn't get positives, but that didn't matter. That didn't matter as much as winning. Winning percentage. If you won 16, 17%, it wasn't good enough. They, gave, they went to the guys that won 28%. That broke horses down all the time. That 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 um, positives all the time, and you know some of it's lip service. We hear a lot of a lot of hand wringing when these things happen, and and most of it comes from the people who aren't in the sport, because the people in the sport are afraid. There are a lot of them are afraid to say anything, and they're afraid of repercussions, and that's that that sucks, because we, we should have people speaking out against issues like this and and we can't have if baseball if Mike Trout got got suspended three times a year for transgressions and 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 doing things even if they were relatively minor if he was using a a a corked bat or or uh you know something of that nature that would be a big scandal that would be a, there there would be penalized he he would lose sponsorships he would lose money it would cost him money he wouldn't get paid for those games but in this business we don't punish the trainers or the jockeys, the jockeys that can habitually put other jockeys in bad positions, they just and and yes, we have to. This is America, and we have rights, and there is a, a due process system for sure, certainly, that exists but when you just get these these things appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed and the state commissions kind of run out of uh steam in trying to enforce these rules it gets uh, it it gets to be from the view of many other people it, it just is frustrating because we know that uh, we wouldn't be treated similarly in Again, Bob Baffert hasn't been convicted of giving horses true performance-enhancing drugs. He's been accused of it. But he, these are not those. These are minor violations. But there's just too many of them. There's just too many of them. And the owners aren't going to take the horses away. And it just is a problem that exists. And, and I'm sure at this point he, he himself is, is embarrassed about it. I mean, he, he, how can you not be? How can you not be but but this is not a new thing and uh and this is a uh, you know this hurts everyone this hurts the sport because we're going to get another joe drape article we're going to get more headlines and headlines for these type of of transgressions are it, it's unfortunate and it, it's 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 poor timing and and as, like I said before, I don't have, I don't have an, there's no easy answer to this. But, um, and, and I, as I said on Steve's show yesterday, the system is no good. It's a bad system. It's a system where the, the laboratories are in competition with each other and they want to use the number of positive tests they call is a marketing tool. It, it's just, uh, it, it's not a great system. And, um, I've fallen victim to it, and uh, Grand Motion has fallen victim to it. Many other trainers have fallen victim to it. Where we followed the rules and we still got in trouble, and and that's that to me is is really against. Um, I want to talk y'all patriotic, but that that's against the the American ideal. Is that to to follow the rules, to follow the laws, and still. Be accused of doing something wrong is is just un, it's not only unfair, but it, it's uh, it, it's just uh, it's just wrong, and and it's a system that that was set up. Again, I said earlier, it was set up a long time ago when the testing and the medications were far far different than they are now, and it needs to be modernized. And it needs to be fixed. And this federal racing act is not is not addressing some of the major issues that still exist and that's that's going to be a a big problem when you federalize these things and we're going from from state government to federal government and and you're just you're you're just making everything worse that that's i don't know just seems to me that we could do better as opposed to harsher or stronger or just better. And, uh, I, for one, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of talking about it and I'm sick of, uh, I'm sick of calling the, the system out. I'm sick of calling Bob Baffert out and I'm sure he doesn't care what I say, but, um, uh, I'm speaking for a lot of other people, a lot of people that, that don't feel comfortable speaking out and saying that this has to stop and it has to stop. He's got to go, a long time without getting positive tests. Whether, whether his horses just are treated differently, well, that's just the way it is. I mean, you know, the state-by-state system is not a great system. The federal system that's being proposed is not a great system. It could be just so much better. And I just wish that they would ask ask people for some practical knowledge some working knowledge so that have been through the issues that that know. And uh, I think that we're going to get boards and we're going to get panels that they've set up so there's no, you know, quote-unquote uh, inside business. But by the same token, you're taking people that don't know, which is similar to how the ridiculous rules that are being set up for the whips. Uh, the New Jersey rule is worse than the California rule. It's worse. We haven't even got to that point yet. And it's kind of going to be off in the future because there is no turbid racing in New Jersey until the springtime. But I mean, there it's it's their rule is worse than California's, and California's is is, is that it's affecting the handle. It, it certainly is. I mean, I know way too many guys that have just given up on on California or cut way down, or, or like like Barry Barry just is playing in the tournaments where you, there's there's no real live handle and and it's uh it's unfortunate but uh the business is in, is in a very difficult spot right now, and I've gone over the ninety minute mark but you know it's my show and I do what i want <laughs> but um we have to be smarter and uh i I just don't know that I just don't know how to get everyone on board with fixing things. It's it's hard enough to get people to admit that there's issues and, and that's that's gonna be a problem. And I, I've heard whispers about something else coming down and I know that's been a rumor, but I've heard from from people that that are stronger than just the the normal racing whispers that something is going to come down and there's gonna be other people that that are are gonna be be implicated and and i just want the owners to know that if it's your trainer <laughs> don't say you didn't know don't say you didn't know because he, most people who are smart enough to make enough money to be heavily invested in thoroughbred racehorses are smart enough to know when things are not uh, not exactly what they seem but uh you know We'll see what we'll, we'll just see what happens, and hopefully the Breeders' Cup goes off without any injuries like we had last year. Hopefully we, we don't lose any more horses. The distaff itself has been has been uh, has lost a couple of really major players, which is which is too bad, uh, since they all seem to kind of be avoiding them outside of vexatious, who kind of took all comers. Now she's not going to make it, but the other big contenders all seem to have been avoiding each other, and um. I don't see how Swiss Skydiver doesn't go in the distaff at this point. It just doesn't seem, it, w- it would seem to be a, a much, uh, more prudent spot though. I was wrong about the Preakness, but, uh, uh, the, the, the distaff is just, uh, essentially it's, it's beat Monomoy Goro and it's a wide open race. So, I mean, uh, the old saying is never be afraid of one horse. And, uh that's kind of a, right now you're looking at a prohibitive favorite in monomoy girl in that race even if Swiss guys ever goes Jackie's warrior looks like a prohibitive favorite uh, and I, I don't see any other races where there's a real big stick-out choice uh, and uh, it should be it should be a really good uh, couple of days of racing I just hope that uh, like I said I hope that we, we go get through unscathed I hope the the Baffert bashing isn't uh, too bad, and uh, and I hope there's no positives coming out of this Breeders' Cup. I hope everybody's smart enough to say, hey, we don't want to be the guy that gets disqualified out of a Breeders' Cup race. And uh, Steve had Richard Migliore on yesterday, and Richard was talking about his first ride in the Breeders' Cup where he finished third in, in the 1985 Aqueduct Breeders' Cup. And yes, they did have a Breeders' Cup at Aqueduct, though that seems far-fetched. It actually did happen. And he ran third in a race. The horse who ran fourth was a horse named Lashkari, who was owned by the Aga Khan. And Lashkari actually is infamous for testing positive. He tested positive the year prior at Hollywood Park in the inaugural Breeders' Cup uh, in a post-race test. And there was all kinds of lawsuits. And it was a long time ago, and I don't remember exactly how it all worked out, but... uh, it might, it might even been the Breeders' Cup at, at Aqueduct. Where he tested positive. I, I, I don't even remember, but he did test positive in a race. So it, it's not. Uh, it's happened before. Todd Pletcher had a horse test positive for procaine penicillin, which was a similar situation than Baffert was describing for his horse, um, for for Gamma's last, where they had given it. Uh, the procaine penicillin which is actually a, uh, I mean, a, a, an antibiotic and you, the procaine is given in the antibiotic because of to the reaction site when you give the injection the procaine is used for that so that there's not a reaction not for the actual procaine itself but um, they had given it well outside of the um, suggested uh, withdrawal time and, and, and it still came back positive and I know there was a lawsuit again and those things they, they wound up in court and Sometimes it's hard to remember exactly how it all works out because it just drags on and on and on. But uh, but hopefully we we can get through and, and not have any more of those. But uh, but next week's show we will definitely be talking about the Breeders' Cup and, and we will have the fields at that point and uh, we'll uh, we'll get more into it and we'll get some people on the ground. We might try to get Marty McGee and going to find out as much information as we can. It's uh, it's really the last big, big racing event of the year. We still have the the Naira Mile weekend. We have the the Clark weekend at Churchill, and uh, um, and uh, I guess San Anita's gonna, you know, the the San Anita kickoff to their winter meet. I I, I thought I read word going to be on. They're opening up on January, on on uh, December 23rd, which is odd. They always open up the day after Christmas, but everything's changing, so we'll go from there. Anyways, thank you for, for listening, and thank you for Mr. Carbajal, Louis Carbajal, for coming on. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he won. I don't know. I think his horse is, is probably running pretty close to now. Uh, and thank you for for Carlos Martin for, uh, for giving us some time talking about Come Dancing, and uh, thank you, Casey. For your usual stellar job is keeping me on track and uh thank you for everyone for listening and um we might actually have a, a special podcast later in the week that you'll be able to see on on facebook or on twitter um i have to talk to, to there's a certain person i've been wanting to, to interview about a certain thing a couple of specifics and they just weren't able to make it today but uh we might uh, might have something on this week, but I'm not making any promises, but we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. I'll thank you again, uh, and we'll see you next week. This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman, Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email
1: goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com and log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast.